Turn with me in the Gospel of Matthew, please. A few weeks ago, when I was here last, we uh, started going through the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, we covered chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 17, the genealogy of Jesus, and I had everything all lined up so that we would cover verses 18 through 25, in which uh, Jesus, um, Matthew recounts the birth of Jesus. I had, I had it all synchronized so that that would fall on Christmas Day. Um, but the Bible says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've experienced a lot of times in my life when it seems like God goes out of his way to demonstrate that uh, he's sovereign, he's on his throne, and I'm not. Um, so we wanted to thank everyone for your prayers for my daughter who went into premature labor. She is good. Baby is fine. Uh, the the uh, bun is still in the oven. And uh, the Lord has so clearly answered our prayers. So thank you and thank you to Brother Paul for preaching the word of God last Sunday on very short notice. I don't know if you realize that. Uh, I think it was like four o'clock on Saturday when it was obvious Amanda was going to be flown out of town and we were going to go down there and I called Paul and I said, brother, would you please? <laughs> and he stepped in and did a great job. So thank you very much, brother. So all of this in the providence of God, which means that the Lord obviously wants us to hear about the birth of Jesus two Sundays in a row. So let's read Matthew chapter 1. Verses 18 through 25, where uh, Matthew wrote as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So, obviously, we rejoice at the Christmas season when uh, it seems like the whole Western world remembers the birth of Jesus, even though it seems like there's a huge effort to get Jesus out of Christmas, but um, the advent of Christmas Christmas, to remember Advent, uh, was a later development, of course, and it's always appropriate to think about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so 
we're, we're doing it now as we uh, begin our journey through Matthew's gospel. But you're going to see, I think, that this passage has a lot to say to us as we embark on a new year as well. Um, we'll, get, we'll get more into that. So first of all, as we think about this passage um, in verses eight, 18 and 19, Matthew describes to us the quiet scandal, the, the quiet scandal. So uh, look at verse 18 again. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So a few key things there. The word betrothed, um, the closest thing we have in our culture is engagement, but betrothal uh, in the Jewish culture was a lot more important than just engagement. Um, it was actually a legal transaction. Um, the, it would have taken a divorce to break up a betrothal. A betrothal was basically everything a, married, a marriage is without the marriage being consummated. Um, and so it was a very formal thing. They, they were, uh, in all senses and purposes, except for actually being consummated as a husband and wife, they were husband and wife. And then Matthew says that Mary was found to be with child. And that's really a nice way of saying that Mary was visibly pregnant, obviously pregnant now, and Joseph and Mary knew that he had nothing to do with it. And ordinarily, this could only mean one thing. But this situation was far from ordinary. Matthew goes on to say, that she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So Mary was pregnant, but not from any biological union with a man, but from the miraculous divine power of the Holy Spirit. Mary's pregnancy was supernatural, in other words. It couldn't be explained by any other way. It was a miracle. And it was the fulfillment of the angel Gabriel's promise to Mary uh, that Luke records, Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called the Son of God. So whatever function the man usually plays in the biology of conception was not present and God fulfilled that not physically but miraculously, supernaturally. And so she was conceived from the Holy Spirit. But at this point, Joseph is unaware of all of this. All Joseph knows is that his wife, his betrothed wife, is pregnant, and he had nothing to do with it, and so he had to act on what he knew. 
So uh, Matthew records for us in verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a, a just man, so he was determined to honor the justice of God. He was a just man. Uh, but at the same time, he wanted to honor the mercy of God, so he was unwilling to put Mary to shame. So he, Joseph came up with this compromise. He had resolved to divorce her because according to outward, outward appearances, Mary was an, an adulteress. But he had determined to divorce her quietly. He still wanted to protect her. It seemed like a reasonable plan from this just man, Joseph, until, until an angel spoke to Joseph in a dream. And we see that in verses 20 and 21, the angelic message. Look at verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And you could imagine that what was going on was consuming Joseph's thoughts. He thought about it not only when he was awake, but he thought about it at night. And so at night, it's not surprising that he has this dream, but this was no ordinary dream because in this dream, there's an angel from the Lord, a messenger from the Lord who speaks to Joseph. And he, uh, and he says to Joseph in this dream, Joseph, son of David, remember we established that in uh, verses 1 through 17, that uh, Jesus indeed is a legal descendant of David through Joseph as uh, Joseph's adopted son. So Joseph was a son of David, Joseph, son of David, the angel says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. And now the angel lets Joseph in on the secret. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Mary is not an adulteress. Therefore, don't be afraid to marry her. The biology was taken care of supernaturally by God, the Holy Spirit. And then the angel gave this very meaningful instruction to Joseph in verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. By the way, it was the responsibility of the father to name their son. But in this case, Jesus' true father is his father in heaven, God takes the prerogative of naming Jesus because Jesus is the Son of God. And what's his name going to be? Jesus. And there's lots of meaning in that. The angel goes on, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus means, Yeshua. Jehovah saves. And... Yeshua, uh, Jehovah does save, but it's really interesting. This is, this is a, 
an implied way of saying, by the way, that Jesus is Jehovah. Jehovah saves, and by the way, Jesus is going to save his people from their sins. Jesus is Yahweh. Yahshua is Yahweh. He saves, and he will save his people from their sins. But this name is really instructive, Jesus. Because Jesus' name is his mission statement. The name Jesus tells us what Jesus is all about. He will save his people from their sins. So what does that mean? That Jesus saves his people from their sins. Uh, Sin is something that our culture doesn't like talking about a lot. But if you think about it, every single culture of human beings has some concept of sin. The, The question is, well, whose standard of sin are we talking about? Is it God's standard or is it man's standard? But make no mistake about it. Our culture has a concept of sin. For, for example, if, if you say openly in our culture, a man is a man and a woman is a woman, you've sinned, according to our culture. If, if you say that, um, that uh, sexual activity is, is limited to a husband who's a man and a wife who's a woman, everything outside of that boundary is sexual immorality, then you've sinned. You're all kinds of phobes. So our our culture has a very distinct, well-articulated concept of sin, and if you go against that standard, you know, you're an outcast. But the problem is, our culture's standard of sin is not accurate. It's not God's standard of sin. And God has written his law on our hearts, everyone's heart, but but that has been obscured, it's been defaced by sin itself, and so it's, uh, we, we mess things up, even in our concept of what sin is. That's why God has given us his word. It's a a clear description of who God is and who we are and what God's standard of morality is and more importantly, what God has done to save us. But in God's word, he tells us what sin is. And basically, sin is violating God's law, God's commandments, or not living up to God's commandments. There's lots of commandments in the Bible. They're all summarized in the Ten Commandments, And then those ten commandments are summarized in the two great commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then there's a whole lot of details and specific practical applications of those commandments. But just uh, work with me here as we work through the Ten Commandments as a summary of what sin is. And we're, we're thinking about what Jesus is all about because he has come to save his people from their sin. So what is sin? 
making anyone or anything a higher priority in your life than God. Creating your own God in your own image instead of worshiping God as he is. Using God's name as a cuss word. Not devoting time to worshiping God with his people. Not submitting to God-appointed authority, especially parents when you're under their authority. Not valuing and protecting human life. Misusing sex. We've already mentioned God's boundary. Marriage between a man and a woman. Taking someone else's property or possessions without their permission. Lying especially about other people, longing for what belongs to someone else, or the flip side of that is not being content with what God has given you. That's, that's a summary of the Ten Commandments. It's a summary of what sin is. This is what Jesus has come to save his people from. So how does Jesus do that? How does Jesus save his people from their sins? Well, this is the good news of the gospel. And in a nutshell, Jesus redeems us from sin's curse. There, there's a penalty that God's law pronounces against lawbreakers, against sinners. And that's all of us. I mean, as you, as you hear that summary of the Ten Commandments, don't you see that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? Because God's commandments apply to what we do, to what we think, to what we say, what motivates us. And so there's, there's a penalty, there's a curse that hangs over every sinner because of our sin and because God is holy and just and righteous and he doesn't just ignore sin. Even as Joseph, that just man, was not content to just ignore what he thought was Mary's sin. Mary didn't actually sin by committing adultery. But Joseph was a just man and he reflects the justice of God who does not ignore sin. And so Jesus came into the world to save his people from their sins by redeeming us from sin's curse. And how did he do that? By becoming a curse for us. Galatians 3.13, he has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The, the judgment from God, the curse from God, the condemnation from God that my sins deserved were laid on Jesus as my substitute. So he redeems us from sin's curse, but then that's not the only thing that Jesus does to save his people from their sin because we're also slaves to sin. We've got this problem. We constantly sin. We like sin. We're servants, slaves of sin. And so Jesus frees us from sin's slavery as well. He doesn't just give us a new record, which he does, 
but he also gives us a new heart. He gives us a new relationship, not just to God, but to sin itself. And the Bible teaches us that when Jesus died on the cross in our place, we died to sin in him, with him. The Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified together with Christ. And because of that, because of our union with Christ in his death, then the Apostle Paul could say, Romans chapter 6 and verse 6, that Jesus died so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So when someone comes to Christ and they become a Christian, a believer, a disciple of Jesus, these are the two main things that happen instantaneously. The moment you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ from your heart, sincerely, then God removes all of your guilt. He justifies you. He credits the righteousness of Christ to you as if you're righteous, even though you're not. And, and he releases you from your bondage to sin. He, he makes you into a new creation so that you're not only forgiven and justified, but now he enables you to live a new life of freedom from sin and obedience to him as your loving heavenly father. This is what Jesus does to save his people from their sins. And Matthew's gonna describe uh, Jesus's earthly ministry that culminates in his death and uh, death on the cross and his resurrection. That is the, um, the grand finale of that great work of salvation that Jesus does. So all that to say, it's a big deal that his name is Jesus. Jehovah saves. Notice in verses 22 and 23, whoops, the, the fulfillment of prophecy, the fulfillment of prophecy. So the angel was speaking up through verse 21, and now the narrator, Matthew, steps in in verse 22. Matthew says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. And by the way, this formula in verse 22, that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, that formula, Matthew repeats over and over again in his gospel because the theme of Matthew's gospel is to show that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the Savior, not only of Israel, but of the whole world. And he's the one who has come in fulfillment of promise after promise, prophecy after prophecy from the Old Testament scriptures. So this is the beginning of a long line of fulfilled prophecies that we're going to uh, read about from Matthew. This particular prophecy is from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 that Matthew quotes there. He quotes it in verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name 
Emmanuel. And some people throughout church history, mainly since the late 1800s, with the, um, the development of uh, higher criticism that basically put man and his knowledge and understanding on the throne uh, and judged God's word, lots of people have tried to point out that uh, in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, the original Hebrew word that's translated virgin could be translated, it's the word's Alma, it could be translated young maiden. But think about that. God says through Isaiah uh, in the context that this uh, conception would be a sign and a young maiden becoming pregnant I mean, that happens every single day, and it happened every single day in Old Testament Israel. That wouldn't be much of a sign. But a virgin giving birth, now that's a sign. But also notice that Matthew is very careful to point out uh, in his historical account of the birth of Jesus that indeed... Mary, Jesus' mother, um, the conception took place within her womb by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by a man. And so Matthew is clearly interpreting the, the prophecy as it says, a virgin conceived. But then also notice what um, we're told here about another name for Jesus. Emmanuel. So his name is Jesus, but another name is Emmanuel. And Matthew goes on to say at the end of verse 23 in the parentheses, which means God with us. And this is the wonder of the incarnation. When Jesus came into the world, God was with us, not in the general sense of God was with us by blessing us with his son. But the Bible teaches us, both Old and New Testaments, by the way, that when Jesus came into the world, God was literally with us. God, the eternal God, became flesh, the apostle John wrote, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the one who is full of grace and truth. Jesus is the incarnation of God, God becoming enfleshed, God taking on human form. And so at Christmas time, we not only celebrate the birth of a baby, we celebrate the fact that in the birth of Jesus Christ, God became a man and dwelt among us. In Jesus, God is literally with us. And Charles Wesley in his uh, hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, expressed this so well. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, 
Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. The fulfillment of prophecy. And then finally, Matthew writes about the obedience of Jesus, uh, Joseph. The obedience of Joseph. Verses 24 through 25. So Joseph had this dream in which the angel spoke to him. He woke up. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He, he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And so, from Matthew's language, um, in verse 25, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. So the marriage was not consummated until af after the birth of Jesus. And just, by the way, um, Jesus, the Bible does not teach that Mary was a perpetual virgin. Matthew implies here that after Jesus was born, then Joseph knew his wife. And that's a nice way of saying they consummated the marriage. But uh, the New Testament tells us that Jesus had biological brothers and sisters. Mary was not a perpetual virgin. Virgin. She was a virgin when she conceived Jesus. She was a virgin throughout her pregnancy. She was a virgin until after the birth of Jesus. But the main point here that I'm wanting to point out to you is that uh, Je uh, Joseph, who was described by Matthew as a just man, he followed through on the instruction from the angel, which remember, an angel is a messenger from God. So it's not just that this is a message from an angel. It was a message from God himself to name Jesus, Jesus. And Joseph did what he was commanded. And we're not told that Joseph wrestled with the angel, that he argued with the angel, that he questioned with the angel, that he had to wait for a few days or a few weeks or whatever to really figure this out. He has the dream. The angel gives him the instruction. He wakes from his dream and he follows through with the instruction from God. Very quietly and humbly, by the way. And that's a great example to us. Joseph is an example of what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to save his people from their sin. And that included Joseph, by the way. And it is an amazing mystery to think that this young virgin gives birth to the eternal word of God, by whom, through whom, and for whom all things were created and are being sustained. And same thing with, with Joseph, this, the adopted father of Jesus. He uh, names this child who is God incarnate, but he was saved by Jesus as well. And his faith 
in the God who saves was, was manifested, it was, it was demonstrated through his obedience. And that's a great lesson for all of us as um, 2023 now unfolds, a new year unfolds. It's good for us to be reminded. It's good for us as believers to be reminded that on the one hand, our obedience does not save us. It can't because our obedience is always imperfect and our obedience can never undo our past disobedience. So our our obedience can never save us. But on the other hand, obedience is why Jesus saved us. He saved us for good works. And so it's good for us as believers to, to think, okay, it's, it's a new day, it's, it's a new year. And as, as we pray consistently as believers that the Lord would search our hearts and know us and reveal our sin to us, it's good for us to say, okay, there's this area of obedience that I need to grow in. There's that area of obedience that I need to grow in. And remember, that's actually part of why Jesus came into the world to save his people from their sins. And if you're not saved, what better time than the first day of a new year to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, the only savior for sinners. You you can't save yourself. Have you not been convinced of that by now? You don't measure up to God's standard. You, you have plans and they fall apart. You start to do good and then you say the wrong thing. You do the wrong thing. You fall back into your old habits or behavior patterns. You cannot save yourself. Stop. Give up. Just come to the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart It's not something physical, it's spiritual between you and the Lord, but just come to the Lord in your heart and just give up and just confess your sins to him and just tell him in in your imperfect language, just tell him, I know that I have sinned. I know that in and of myself, I'm a failure. I know that I deserve to be punished, to be cursed for my sin, but I want Jesus to be my savior. I want him to redeem me from the curse of the law. But more than that, Lord, I want to follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the rest of my life. Save me, Lord. Have mercy on me, Lord. And if you come to the Lord in that way, from your heart, I promise you, because God promises you, you will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you not just for Christmas time, but we thank you just for the immense truth and blessing that the birth of Jesus represents. Thank you that uh, God became a man and dwelt among us, and Jesus did this to save us, his people from our sins. Help us, Lord, in this new year 
to uh, commit our lives to him anew. Help us to be constantly confessing our sins and repenting of remaining wickedness and help us, Lord, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For we come to you and pray in Jesus' worthy name, amen.